chapter number twenty four of the adventures of huckleberry finn this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver b c the adventures of huckleberry finn by mark twain chapter twenty four next day towards night we laid up under a little willow towhead out in the middle where there was a village on each side of the river and the duke and the king begun to lay out a plan for working them towns jim he spoke to the duke and said he hoped it wouldn't take but a few hours because it got mighty heavy and tiresome to him when he had to lay all day in the wigwam tied with the rope you see when we left him all alone we had to tie him because if anybody happened on to him all by himself and not tied it wouldn't look much like he was a runaway nigger you know so the duke said it was kind of hard to have to lay roped all day and he'd cipher out some way to get around it he was uncommon bright the duke was and he soon struck it he dressed jim up in king lear's outfit it was a long curtain calico gown and a white horsehair wig and whiskers and then he took his theatre paint and painted jim's face and hands and ears and neck all over a dead dull solid blue like a man that's been drowned nine days blamed if he warn't the horriblest looking outrage i ever see then the duke took and wrote out a sign on a shingle so sick arab but harmless when not out of his head and he nailed that shingle to a lath and stood the lath up four or five foot in front of the wigwam jim was satisfied he said it was a sight better than lying tied a couple of years every day and trembling all over every time there was a sound the duke told him to make himself free and easy and if anybody ever come meddling around he must hop out of the wigwam and carry on a little and fetch a howl or two like a wild beast and he reckoned they would light out and leave him alone which was sound enough judgment but you take the average man and he wouldn't wait for him to howl why he didn't only look like he was dead he looked considerable more than that these rapscallions wanted to try the nonsuch again because there was so much money in it but they judged it wouldn't be safe because maybe the news might a worked along down by this time they couldn't hit no project that suited exactly so at last the duke said he reckoned he'd lay off and work his brains an hour or two and see if he couldn't put up something 
on the arkansas village and the king he allowed he would drop o'er to the other village without any plan but just trust in providence to lead him the profitable way meaning the devil i reckon we had all brought store clothes when we stopped last and now the king put his on and he told me to put mine on i done it of course the king's duds was all black and he did look real swell and starchy i never knowed how clothes could change a body before why before he looked like the onerest old rip that ever was but now when he take off his new white beaver and make a bow and do a smile he looked that grand and good and pious that you'd say he had walked right out of the ark and maybe was an old leviticus himself jim cleaned up the canoe and i got my paddle ready there was a big steamboat laying at the shore away up under the point about three miles above the town been there a couple of hours taking on freight says the king seen how i'm dressed i reckon maybe i better arrive down from st louis or cincinnati or some other big place go for the steamboat huckleberry we'll come down to the village on her i didn't have to be ordered twice to go and take a steamboat ride i fetched the shore a half a mile above the village and then went scooting along the bluff bank in the easy water pretty soon we come to a nice innocent-looking young country jake setting on a log swabbing the sweat off his face for it was powerful warm weather and he had a couple of big carpet bags by him run her nose in shore said the king i done it where you bound for young man for the steamboat going to orleans get aboard says the king hold on a minute my servant he'll help you with them bags jump out and help the gentleman adolphus meaning me i see i done so and then we all three started on again the young chap was mighty thankful said it was tough work toting his baggage such weather he asked the king where he was going and the king told him he'd come down the river and landed at the other village this morning and now he was going up a few mile to see an old friend on a farm up there the young fellow says when i first see you i says to myself it's mr wilkes sure and he come mighty near getting here in time but then i says again no i reckon it ain't him or else he wouldn't be paddling up the river you ain't him are you no my name's bloggett alexander bloggett reverend alexander bloggett i suppose i must say 
as i'm one o the lord's poor servants but i still am just as able to be sorry for mr wilkes for not arriving in time all the same if he's missed anything by it which i hope he hasn't well he don't miss any property by it because he'll get that all right but he's missed seeing his brother peter die which he mayn't mind nobody can tell as to that but his brother would a give anything in this world to see him before he died never talked about nothing else all these three weeks hadn't seen him since they were boys together and hadn't ever seen his brother william at all that's the deaf and dumb one william ain't more than thirty or thirty-five peter and george were the only ones that come out here george was the married brother him and his wife both died last year harvey and william's the only ones that's left now and as i was saying they haven't got here in time did anybody send em word oh yes a month or two ago when peter was first took because peter said then that he'd sort of felt like he warn't going to get well this time you see he was pretty old and george's girls were too young to be much company for him except mary jane the red-headed one and so he was kinder lonesome after george and his wife died and didn't seem to care much to live he most desperately wanted to see harvey and william too for that matter because he was one of them kind that can't bear to make a will he left a letter behind for harvey and said he told in it where his money was hid and how he wanted the rest of the property divided up so george's girls would be all right for george didn't leave nothing and that letter was all they could get him to put a pen to why do you reckon harvey don't come where does he live oh he lives in england shetfield preaches there hasn't ever been in this country he hasn't had any too much time and besides he mightn't a got the letter at all you know too bad too bad he couldn't a live to see his brothers poor soul you going to orleans you say yes but that ain't only a part of it i'm going in a ship next wednesday for rio Janeiro, where my uncle lives it's a pretty long journey but it'll be lovely wished i was going is mary jane the oldest how old is the others mary jane's nineteen susan's fifteen and joanna's about fourteen that's the one that gives herself to good works and has a hair lip 
poor things to be left alone in the cold world so well they could be worse off old peter had friends and they say ain't going to let them come to no harm there's hobson the babbitt's preacher and deacon lot hovey and bren rucker and abner shackleford and levy bell the lawyer and dr robinson and their wives and the widow bartley and well there's a lot of them but these are the ones that peter was thickest with and used to write about sometimes when he wrote home so harvey'll know where to look for friends when he gets here well the old man went on asking questions till he just fairly emptied that young fellow blamed if he didn't inquire about everybody and everything in that blessed town and all about the wilkeses and about peter's business which was a tanner and about george's which was a carpenter and about harvey's which was a dissentering minister and so on and so on then he says what did you want to walk all the way up to the steamboat for because she's a big orleans boat and i was afraid she mightn't stop there when they're deep they won't stop for a hail a cincinnati boat will but this is a st louis one was peter wilkes well off oh yes pretty well off he had houses and land and it's reckoned he left three or four thousand in cash hit up summers where did you say he died i didn't say but it was last night funeral tomorrow likely yes about the middle of the day well it's all terrible sad but we've all got to go one time or another so what we want to do is to be prepared then we're all right yes sir it is the best way ma used to say that when we struck the boat she was about done loading and pretty soon she got off the king never said nothing about going aboard so i lost my ride after all when the boat was gone the king made me paddle up another mile to a lonesome place and then he got ashore and says now hustle back right off and fetch the duke up here and the new carpet begs and if he's gone over to the other side go over there and get him and tell him to get himself up regardless shove along now i see what he was up to but i never said nothing of course when i got back with the duke we hid the canoe and then they sat down on a log and the king told him everything just like the young fellow had said it every last word of it 
and all the time he was a-doing it he tried to talk like an englishman and he done it pretty well too for a slouch i can't imitate him and so i ain't a-going to try to but he really done it pretty good then he says how are you on the deaf and dumb bilgewater the duke said leave him alone for that and he had played a deaf and dumb person on the histronic boards so then they waited for a steamboat about the middle of the afternoon a couple of little boats came along but they didn't come from high enough up the river but at last there was a big one and they hailed her she sent out her yawl and we went aboard and she was from cincinnati and when they found we only wanted to go four or five mile they were booming mad and gave us a cussing and said they wouldn't land us but the king was calm he says if gentlemen can afford to pay a dollar a mile apiece to be took on and put off in a yawl a steamboat can afford to carry em can't it so they softened down and said it was all right and when we got to the village they yawled us ashore about two dozen men flocked down when they see the yawl a-coming and when the king says can any of you gentlemen tell me where mr peter wilkes lives they give a glance at one another and nodded their heads as much to say what did i tell you then one of them says kind of soft and gentle i'm sorry sir but the best we can do is to tell you where he did live yesterday evening sudden as winking the ornery old creature went and to smash and fell up against the man and put his chin on his shoulder and cried down his back and says alas alas our poor brother gone and we never get to see him oh it's too too hard then he turns around blubbering and makes a lot of idiotic signs to the duke on his hands and blamed if he didn't drop a carpet-bag and burst out a-crying if they weren't the beatenest lot them two frauds that ever i struck well the men gathered around and sympathized with them and said all sorts of kind things to them and carried their carpet-bags up the hill for them and let them lean on them and cry and told the king all about his brother's last moments and the king he told it all over again on his hands to the duke and both of them took on about that dead tanner like they'd lost the twelve disciples well if ever i struck anything like it i'm a nigger it was enough to make a body ashamed 
of the human race end of chapter 24 recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver bc